Welcome back to the Policy Wonk Podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Kale. What are we talking about today, Joe? So today, as we know, uh, the saga with First Energy and uh, Householder was, uh, you know, kind of, not concluded, but, uh, you know, came to a, an end after Householder was indicted and found guilty. But anyone from Northeast Ohio knows that the Cleveland Browns Stadium is actually named... The naming rights for the stadium, well, was owned by First Energy. And after all the, uh, after the bribery scandal was found out, you know, early 2020, there were calls by the public to give up the naming rights to the stadium and force First Energy to sell them and, you know, change the stadium's name to something else. And today, this, that's officially happened. So earlier this morning, it was announced by the Haslam Group and First Energy that they mutually agreed to end the naming rights contract for the stadium. And originally, the naming rights for the, for the stadium was purchased for $107 million in, 20, in 2013. And that, even back then, it was a big deal, even before we all found out what happened with First Energy, how they were bribing a lot of elected officials in the state house. People were really pissed because Cleveland was one of the last stadiums in the country that was just named after the team. You know, a lot of stadiums had already sold their naming rights to like banks. I mean, you know, Quicken Loans Arena downtown, now Rocket Mortgage Field House, Jacobs Field became Progressive Field, you know, like SoFi Stadium, Heinz Stadium, things like that. But uh, yeah, now, as of today, the name's going to be changed. After a decade of being called First Energy Stadium. Mm-hmm. It's going back to being the Cleveland Brown Stadium. I kind of like it. I like it. I mean, I know it's just, you know, it's just a name and it's just optics, but I, I am glad to see it go back just because of the nostalgia, I guess. I know for a lot of like older Browns fans, I, I think they're happy to see it go back too. But also, I really don't want a public stadium that we pay for with our tax dollars to uh, be called First Energy Stadium after uh, what happened with the bribery scandal. Well, First Energy is still kind of a giant in Northeast Ohio. Oh yeah, I think they're still the one of the like one of maybe two utility like electric utility companies that you can buy from like in Northeast Ohio. I know that's where back at home that's where that's who we pay. And shout out to everyone that gets electricity from First Energy because you're paying for uh, coal plants out of state to stay open. Um, you still are. Actually, no. Everyone in the state is. Say, all of us are. We all are. Even That's if you don't buy, yeah. Even if you don't buy energy from First Energy, we're all paying for that. It's also funny. So in Cleveland, there's a public utility company called Cleveland Public Power that is operated by the city. And what's ironic is that it gets its power from Cleveland Public Power. Doesn't even get electricity from First Energy, which is just so ironic. <laughs> so ironic. <laughs> I didn't know that actually. Until just now. Yeah. That's kind of really funny. So, Joe, what else is going on recently in the news in Cleveland, Ohio? So, shifting to something more serious, um, there was a shooting in Steelyard Commons where a lot of, uh, you know, like big box retailer stores are in the area. Uh, it was in the Walmart parking lot. And our PR director, Victoria Fields, was actually there when it happened and you know after listening to her describe what happened you know that's like that's my biggest fear 
like just being in a you know a regular place and then this starts happening so the the headline that we're reading is from cleveland fox 8 yeah and it says that two people are in critical condition after the shooting and i'm going to argue that those two people and everybody else there are lucky yeah considering everything else that could have happened mm-hmm. and i mean people were lucky it was just in the parking lot people were lucky that nobody's dead yeah it's it was it, honestly it was quite traumatizing for victoria yeah i was on my way back home from columbus and she called me and was like hey i'm at walmart and steel yard there's a shooter and i didn't know what to do because mm. i was like an hour away i was in ashland yeah like an hour goes by ish and she's like everything's okay i'm okay i'm heading home yeah and we've as a as a group we've all made the decision just to not go to a steel yard walmart yeah i mean it's you know and i hear it a lot from people that don't live downtown um oh you know you live in the city like that's gonna happen it's crime ridden i mean one no that's not true really two um this is an issue for the whole country um and i know we have spoken about it on uh the podcast because we made a decision to not to for a while um but after seeing what happened in nashville and also uh now downtown louisville a few days ago yep um you know this is a this is a problem it's a problem it's happening everywhere it's happening in urban settings downtown it's happening in suburban settings at schools most notably correct and it it pisses me off so much there's there's no other way to put it because i am so i'm so fucking tired of being told by people that don't know what it was like growing up like going to school in our generation you know i say it a lot to older people i said you know you grew up through the cold war that that defined your childhood there's people that you know grew grew up post 9-11 that remembered what life was like before that our generation you know 2000 onward we don't know what life before 9-11 i don't know what it was like before that i grew up doing shooter drills in middle school because that just became normal and no one's done anything for 20 years since it just seemed like there's a huge problem of you know school shootings just shootings in general and it is the guns it's the guns it's the guns i i'm not going to entertain any idea that it's oh people kill people not guns yeah people kill people dumbass but what do you you take the weapons that they use to hurt people away from them right right well, it's more than just black and white. So people on the right are like, it's not the guns, it's mental health. And people on the left, some people, mm. are like, it's it's the guns. It's a, Honestly, it's a mixture of two. There yeah. is a mental health oh, yeah. crisis in our country. There's also a gun crisis in our country. So you take away access to some of these weapons that people are using, specifically AR-15s, because that's the exact style of weapon that is used in most of these shootings. Take that away. And provide better mental health, like opportunities to people. Yeah, that's the that's the ideal policy because we're policy wonks. Exactly. So, and people people who say that we want to take their guns away, socialism. One, it shows how uneducated people actually are. Mm -hmm. And two, it almost hurts. Yeah, because I grew up, I had a plan. 
from roughly seventh grade through now. Like I still have a plan. In every classroom, every room that I am in on campus here, I have a plan to get out and to get someplace safe. And that's because I don't know if I'm going to come to school one day and somebody's going to have a gun and somebody's going to have a mental health issue and they're going to lose it. Yeah. You know, in the U.S., and, you know, you're right, it is a mixture of both. We have a mental health crisis in this country. But again, Republican legislators don't want to address that. They'll talk about, oh, you know, it's a mental health crisis. You're not allocating any more funds towards the mental health system or healthcare, period. But they're not allocating any more funds towards mental health programs. They're not allocating any more funds towards most healthcare programs in general because they don't, they don't really care. I, I really want to believe that these people, they, they recognize the problem, but they're not realizing that what we're doing is not working. You can debate over what is the right solution so that people stop fucking dying going to like Walmart or going to school, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't just keep saying people kill people, not guns. People kill people with guns. And this is a uniquely American problem. This does not happen as often, if ever, in a lot of European countries. Australia had one school shooting. They banned semi-automatic weapons immediately. There has not been a major shooting in Australia since then. And in this country, we have stringent regulations on certain guns. When I, when I hear people push back against the idea of banning semi-automatic weapons for whatever reason. There's one type of weapon in this country that you cannot buy, and it is a sawed-off shotgun. You cannot buy a sawed-off shotgun because it's insane. Yeah. To get a sawed-off shotgun, you have to have a special license from the ATF. You have to pay a permit fee of, I think it's $200, and that might be yearly, and you have to undergo extremely stringent background checks. How many shootings are done with a sawed-off shotgun? None. One, because it's so regulated that it's unrealistic to, to cause that kind of harm on people with that weapon. But it shows that these regulations work. Look at Australia. Look at France. Look at the United Kingdom or Ireland or Canada. And I understand that, sure, semi-automatic weapons account for a, a very small minority of overall gun deaths in the country. But it is still so absurd that people can so easily get a weapon that can inflict so much damage and death in such a short amount of time. There is a uniquely, I don't even know what the word would be, but it's such a unique responsibility to own a gun full stop. Where, sure, it's my choice not to own a gun. I don't, have the, I don't feel the need to own a gun. I don't. There's a lot of people that don't feel that way. If you want to own a gun, that is your right. That comes with a lot of responsibilities because you have the ability to inflict a ton of damage on another human being. You have the ability to kill another person. And if you want to own a gun, you have to accept the responsibility of that. And you should have to undergo stringent training, background checks, licensing, maybe. It shouldn't be easy to get a gun. And I know that's a controversial thing to say, but I am so sick. I am so sick of reading headlines of another shooting happening in a bank or a Walmart or a Tops or a school and just going, 
that's just what happens here. Oh, it's another one. I'm sick of it. Alcohol is more regulated in our country than guns are. Weed is more regulated. Exactly. Cars. Um, these are things, well, not cars, but these are things that kill people <laughs> maybe over time. Like, if you have an alcohol problem, you will end up dying in, like, a decade, two decades even, depending on how serious your problem is. But a gun can end a life like that. Yeah. It's also just so weird to think about that this has become such an issue. It's baffling to me how one, there's people on one side of this argument who don't own guns, but they're concerned that the government wants to take away the guns of other people. You don't even own a gun. Yeah. Why don't you own a gun? Because it's dangerous, right? Because it's dangerous to have in your home. You don't need to have a gun. Mm-hmm. So why are you arguing that all these other people should have guns? It's dangerous to have in their homes. And that's the thing. In the U.S., there are more people, or there are more guns than people. There's significantly more guns than people. We are the most armed country, both in the professional sense for the military, but also in, we're in a civilian sense. It's the, it's the fucking guns. There are so many guns. Like A single person could have multiple guns, and there would still be guns left over. Like The total amount of guns in this country, it's absurd. There's a culture of like this weird macho mentality that you're going to somehow be the good guy with a gun in a in a shooting situation when you're you're not going to be that person. And statistically, you look at studies, a gun does not it does not make you safer. It does not in any, really any situation. That gun is more likely to be stolen by someone who's going to use that gun in a for a criminal act. You're more likely to accidentally set off that gun and hurt yourself or another person. Or, you know, you're more likely, if you're going through a mental health crisis, that gun is more likely to be used in a suicide than to be used defending your home from a burglar. Well, you remember, um, I'm sure you remember, a couple of years ago, that guy killed his own daughter. Yeah. Because she was, she was sneaking in at night, but he, he shot her yeah. and killed his own daughter. Because it's... It, it's it's really like we're making policy based off movies. Yeah. You know, Ohio. Like westerns. Yeah. Not even like modern movies, westerns. Like Ohio, you know, doesn't have a concealed carry requirement anymore. Now Florida doesn't. That that was recent. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be the good guy with a gun. You are just not. Statistically and realistically, that's not going to be you. Because in a situation where there is someone threatening your life, you're probably going to freeze up more than anything. Your average Joe with, you know, a concealed pistol is not going to be stopping a mass shooter. It's, it's not a realistic thought. And it's honestly, that's the one thing that I think is preventing us from actually enacting policy that protects people. I'm glad you brought up the fact that you're likely to freeze up and not know what to do. Because there's only, there's one group of people in this country who I am 100% comfortable with them having guns and it's because they know what it does to a person and those people are veterans but even then VA hospitals aren't like these like top notch state of the art facilities Mm -hmm. and veterans healthcare is like mental healthcare is something that we're not doing the best in this country Yeah. so even, even then there is a mental health argument when it comes to veterans owning guns 
but I would trust a veteran with an AR-15 style rifle over somebody who just wanted one. So they saved up, went to Walmart and bought one. Yeah. And the only reason why I trust them is like I said, because they know what it does to a person. And in the case where there might need to be a good guy with a gun, they're the only person who would know what to do. Yeah. Cause I can tell you this much, the good guys with the gun stories, they only pop up after there's been a tragedy. Yeah. And it's only on like Fox news website. And that's the thing. Even if that does happen, which is exceedingly rare, very rare, it's happening after the fact. There is, you know, I would much prefer that we just stop the shooting before it even happens so people aren't getting traumatized for the rest of their lives or so we don't risk anyone dying. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts. Like, it's such an absurd problem that has been an issue since the late 90s that really hasn't. No one's come up with a solution. It's only getting worse. And it's getting worse. Well, there, there, there are solutions. But they're not enacting them. Correct. Because they're in the pockets of groups like the NRA. And it's not even like there's one side who wants 100% this and one side that wants 100% this and there's no compromise. One side is willing to compromise. That's why the term recently to describe these types of policies is common sense gun reform. Mm-hmm. It, like common sense shit yeah but the one side who's in the pockets of the nra is very adamant against touching them and that's the thing i can't remember the exact the numbers on the research poll it was done by pew but the majority of americans gun owners and non-gun owners agree with policies like more stringent background checks maybe even restricting the purchase of um semi-automatic weapons Red flag laws are popular with both sides of the aisle, but they're not getting enacted because groups like the NRA are, you know, telling politicians, hey, um, you know, here's campaign donations. If you ever vote for any kind of gun control, we will primary you and you will be kicked out of Congress because that's how this is why these policies aren't being enacted, even though, you know, people are so tired and angry, you know, Republicans and Democrats alike. But nothing's getting done. And on the NRA, the NRA is not a citizen group. It is a group of arms manufacturers, ultra-wealthy donors, the people that run Remington, the people that run Arma Light. They are the people that run the NRA. It is not regular dues-paying members. And I understand there are dues-paying members of the NRA. You are not in charge. Remington and Armalite are in charge of that organization, and they're going to promote and oppose policies that make them the most money as possible, because all they care about is selling as many guns as they can, and quite frankly, they, they do not care if it kills people. They do not care. So when you're learning history, when you're learning about the previous centuries, Something that stands out to me is the complete and utter disregard of human life. People in charge, they don't care. People who aren't in charge also don't care. And I'm happy to say that that's changed in the last couple hundred of years, hundreds of years. But to some, like the people in charge of the NRA, there is no value in a human life Hmm. and it's because 
all they care about is money. They they're willing to sacrifice lives of three children in Nashville, or the lives of those people in Louisville, or two people who are now in critical condition from Steelyard. Yeah, they're willing to sacrifice all that because they're some of the wealthiest people in the world, and they don't care. It doesn't affect them. So. On May 27th, 2014, The Onion published an article talking about shooting on, I think, UCLA's campus. Mm. Um, but the headline is, No Way to Prevent This, says Only Nation Where This Regularly Happens. And they repost this every single time. I'm not saying we should look to other countries for policy all the time, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to this, we should. Yeah. We should be looking to, like you said, Australia, France. The last thing that I heard happen in France was when there were shootings in Paris like five years ago. Yeah. But I think in 2023 alone in the United States, there's been over a hundred something mass shootings. Yeah. So there's a disconnect there. And a lot of the, like, America First people are like, well, we shouldn't be looking to those people for guidance. We're our own country. Threat to sovereignty. No, it's not. So what do we do? What do we do as wonkists, (laughs) as two dudes in college, what do we do to fix this? I wish there was, like, a clear-cut answer that I could give or that we could give. You know, but it's a long fight. I mean, one day it's going to end up just people that actually care running for office. That could be years from now. But also putting pressure on politicians and also like supporting groups like, you know, March for Our Lives or Moms uh, Moms Demand Action. You know, because these politicians, they can't keep getting away with just ignoring the majority opinion from their constituents. They need to start being voted out. Most importantly, they need to start being primaried. You know, and again, I don't know how you're going to exactly primary an entrenched Republican incumbent who opposes gun control, but it's a, you know, it's a hard, it's a, it's a difficult thing to give an answer on, um, except, you know, getting involved with grassroots organizations and honestly running for office yourself one day and also not getting desensitized because I know it's easy to get desensitized to violence, especially if you're younger. You know, not younger, but, you know, in your 20s, because you grew up in a generation where violence was just normalized. You know, we did school shooting uh, drills. And I can say that during these drills, people were cracking jokes. Yeah. And, you know, you become desensitized to seeing, you know, headlines like six killed or two shot, multiple in critical condition. But you can't. And I know it's tiring to, to, to hear that stuff, but you cannot fall into the trap of just not caring because that's not going to get anything done. It's not going to get anything done, and it's not productive. You have to keep caring. Don't delve into the details about a shooting, but make sure that the people that died are remembered and also keep pushing for common-sense gun control. You have to care. You have to care. I wish there was a good way to kind of wrap that up because that's a very personal and also really heavy subject to kind of talk about. And again, we debated a while how we wanted to approach it because of how 
you know, it is an uncomfortable thing to talk about and it's a hard thing to talk about for us, but also we know it's a hard thing for people to hear about a lot because it's difficult. But I want to segue into more national news about Senator Feinstein of California. What do, what do you know about Diane Feinstein, Kale? Respectfully, she's old as fuck. She's really old. I think she's almost 90. She's, she's the oldest member of the Senate, correct? She is. Her or Chuck Grassley. But recently, so she was diagnosed with shingles, which is, it is a, it's a common, you know, infection for older folks. Mm -hmm. But she's been absent since February 16th. And uh, our information for this is coming from NPR. Um, shout out. Shout out. <laughs> um, she hasn't voted since February 16th and has missed nearly 60 of the Senate's 82 votes so far this session of 2023. Um, isn't she on the Senate Judiciary Committee as well? She is, and that's a problem because uh, Democrats enjoy a very slim majority of 51 to 50 seats currently. Mm -hmm. And if one senator is absent on that committee, no judges are getting through. And since she's been absent, I, there hasn't been any judges approved because, the Dem because Democrats haven't had enough votes to get you know, Biden's nominees pushed through to their appointments. Um, and that becomes a problem because, well, I mean, one, there's benches without judges. Yeah. And I mean, two, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that there's even a chance that Joe Biden loses in 2024, but he's only got a year left in this term where he yeah. can nominate these judges and set the tone for the next four years. Not even the next four years. For the, yeah, because judges serve for life. Yeah. And... This is where Democrats got demolished on when uh, Republicans were in control of the House and the Senate for years. They just kept shoving through judicial nominees. That's why, you know, you keep getting these insane conservative opinions from like district court and circuit judges because Republicans have been very efficient at filling uh, vacancies in the judiciary and uh, thank God that Joe Biden realizes that we needed to step up our game because he's approved a lot, a ton of judges. I think one of, he's one of the most, his presidency has appointed one of the most judges, period, like in history. Yeah. And this is important because we can, you know, even if we win back the House and we hold the Senate and Biden is reelected in 2024, even if we get policy passed like tuition-free college or universal child care or, you know, XYZ. Conservative groups are still going to sue us in court over that. And then those conservative judges that were appointed by Bush, Trump, going even as far back as Ronald Reagan, are going to rule in favor of those Republican groups. And we have to start getting people into the judiciary that see a more proactive role for government, you know, to defend civil rights, to support, you know, poor people. And we can't keep having people missing votes. And I know there's criticism that, you know, saying Diane Feinstein is old is ageist, but she's really really old. And that's becoming an issue. Yeah. She's 89 actually. She's 89. And you know, respectfully, I don't think you should be in <laughs> I don't think you should be in politics let alone be a legislator after the age of maybe 70. That's pushing it. Because I don't think you should be making decisions 
that you're not going to see, to be totally honest. Well, Joe, you might know this. Catholic bishops are asked, they're not forced, they're asked to retire at 75. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I feel like that should be reflected in government. Not, not that government should look to religion yeah. for guidance, but I mean, that there's a reason why they're asked to retire at 75. Yeah. Go enjoy your, your retirement, please. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, too. Like, I genuinely just want, just enjoy, you know, your, your golden years, right? If I was in the Senate, dude, I'm tapping out at 60. I'm not, <laughs> nope, I'm not doing that after 60. You're raking in those benefits. You're going to get a uh, big house. And you're just going to go, go, uh, go relax. Just do your thing. Go write a few books. Go get like yeah. an adjunct professor job at some university. Those pay well. Yeah. You're literally a senator. You could do whatever the hell you want. Go enjoy yourself. Please don't still be a senator. Don't be, and you said she's 89. Yeah. Don't be an 89-year-old senator from California. Because that's not even like. It's not even like she's at risk, like that seat's at risk of flipping. Right. It's not, m- not today. No. Maybe 20 years ago. More than that. It's, it's just really absurd. And she's not running for re-election. She's already made that decision. But, I mean, you should have decided to not run for re-election like three elections ago. say three cycles ago. Yeah. So the, that, that was a good segue, actually, because I wanted to talk about the kind of progressive call for her to resign mm. right now. I don't think that that would help anything. Because, I mean, she's only got a little while left in this term. And yeah. then she's not running for re-election. And if she resigns, then there's going to have to be a special election. And I'm not, again, not saying that that seat's at risk, but then you got to get a whole new senator. That's money being spent. That's time being wasted. It's annoying. And it doesn't change anything because there's still a vacancy on the Judiciary Committee. Mm -hmm. Even then, it would be really weird because, you know, Gavin Newsom, the governor, would appoint, you know, a replacement to fill Dianne Feinstein's remain, the remainder of her term. But uh, there's already candidates in the running for her seat in 24, you know, um, Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, Adam Schiff. And that causes problems. And then you're going to cause an issue where whoever you appoint, one, it's going to look bad if you appoint one of those three people, because that could be, you know, you're giving them an unfair advantage. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, they have the experience of a senator already when they were just appointed. Or you're going to appoint someone that might run for election and still start causing, you know, kind of internal issues. Mm -hmm. It's just a sticky situation. And I think you're right. I don't think it would really do anything for her to resign. No. Even so, there's a temporary replacement. I don't even know how that works. I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. To just fill your seat on a committee temporarily. And that's what this NPR article says, that Chuck Schumer is considering asking the Senate to appoint a temporary replacement Mm -hmm. and like you just i mean i didn't know that that was a thing that's honestly kind of cool no it's cool (laughs) i just think it's weird because she was supposed to come back in march yeah and now i mean our mid-april newsletter is coming out in like two days and we're i mean we're halfway done with april yeah and who knows how long it's going to take for her to recover and be healthy and get back into it Mm -hmm. and i really hate this argument because it's thrown around by the right a lot you know questions about mental capacity person woman chair yeah camera whatever trump said and you know i think a lot of those arguments are bullshit in general and actually genuinely ageist yeah you know and like personally i get really angry 
when people, you know, make fun of Joe Biden for, oh, he has dementia. One, he doesn't, dumbass. Two, with someone, you know, my grandma has dementia and it's a really terrible disease that I hate a lot and it's not a joke. Right. It's not a joke to, you know, make fun of someone because they're, you know, just like old in general and say they have dementia when people and whole families have to suffer through this and it's a really terrible disease. But, you know, I think there is... That I mean, I think it is a valid concern to be like, hey, you're in your late 80s, early 90s. Are you sure you should be serving in a capacity where you have access to sensitive national security information? And in certain circumstances, you could be asked to become the president in a very, you know, remote circumstance. <laughs> but still, like the argument can be made that like, should you be serving if, you know, you have, you know, cognitive issues because of your age. You know, everyone has the right to to run and try to make their country better, but you don't have the right to just be in power forever. Uh, you should tell that to Chuck Grassley. Well, he is a corn farmer, and I respect the hell out of him for that. And his Twitter is really Twitter funny. His Twitter is so funny. It's very concerning, but it's really funny. It's You can tell when he's tweeting versus when, like, an intern is tweeting. Yeah. And it's really funny. So flipping to the other side of the aisle, another rather old senator. Friend of the pod. You can say that. <laughs> I'm not going to say that, <laughs> but you can say that. Um, the senator from Kentucky. Mitch McConnell? Yeah, that one. The minority leader. Mm. He's also um, kind of, I'm not going to say suffering the consequences of being old. That's not what I want to say. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> He's also um, out, isn't he? Isn't yeah. he recovering from home? Yeah, he fell recently, I think at some dinner party or something. Um, but he's been out. But there's, like, Republicans are, like, already smelling blood in the water because oh. there's, like, I think it was Tim Scott. Uh, who? Yeah, exactly. No. Um, whoever's this one senator from South Carolina and, like, some other younger Republican senator are like, hey, I want to be minority, or I want to be leader of the caucus. Uh, breaking news. 30 minutes ago, Mitch McConnell's coming back in a week. It's coming back to the Senate. Even so, like, you know, Republicans are already jockeying for the leadership position. And I think that's going to really, one, it's going to undermine McConnell already. Republicans in disarray. Yeah, Republicans are in disarray. They already have a leadership kind of issue in the House. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How many votes did it take for McCarthy to get elected? I want to say 12, but I feel like that's wrong. More than 12, right? I don't know, but it was... It was, it was more than it two. Was, it was more than two. <laughs> more than one. And it's, it's just so ridiculous because, you know, again, I wish no ill will on anyone. That'd be insane and horrible. Yeah, we'd be on the wrong side of history. But that. it becomes a point where you need to retire. It's time to go home. Like, you've done your time. You've served, regardless of, you know, your partisan affiliation. Like, you've served your party. you served your country. Once it becomes an issue where you're missing votes consistently, you're going to have to step down. Out of respect for, one, your fellow, you know, like, senators or representatives, but also for your constituents. If you can't fulfill the duties of your office, you shouldn't be in that office. If it becomes a recurring issue. Um, you know, as well, you know, uh, Senator Fetterman, 
also went to a, a mental health hospital, you know, for treatment for depression. And that's one that's totally different from what is happening with Senator Feinstein and McConnell. But he's better and he's back. And, you know, that's something that everyone goes through, whether you realize it or not. I know people that struggle with depression. I know people that struggle with mental health issues and they're totally functional and they're fine and they can return to work after they get the support they need. And it's like, and I've seen people try to compare it, you know, Fetterman and Dianne Feinstein. I'm like, it's really not comparable. You know? Honestly, I'm quite proud of John Fetterman for stepping out and I am too. getting the care he needed. I mean, it takes one, mental health is still stigmatized in this country in general, but especially for men. But, also for elected officials. Honestly, I'm really surprised that he publicly said what was going on, that he was struggling with depression and that he checked himself into a mental health hospital. That takes like genuinely a lot of balls to do because, you know, some people might not understand that. And I think a lot of elected officials would have been like, oh, I'll lose re-election or I'll be primaried. He said, no, I think people deserve to know what's going on with me because they voted for me and they entrusted me and with representing them. And I respect the hell out of him for that. I also love John Fetterman a lot. As I say, I think he's cool. He's also like eight feet taller than you. This is true. <laughs> but uh, backtracking to Mitch McConnell, I pulled up his Ballotpedia profile. Mm. <laughs> he's been a senator for 38 years. 38. 38? He's been the senator from Kentucky for 38 years. I thought he was only there for like 20 or something. 38. He was first elected in like 85. Now, like that. look, I'm against term limits, which we could talk about on another episode because I know that. Ooh, that'd be a good one to talk about. That's a stack. That's a controversial thing to say to people. Stack's also opposed to term limits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think age limits are a, valu- are a valid thing to have a conversation about. Judges are age limited in in the state of Ohio. They are in the state of Ohio, and it's the only position in yeah Ohio that's got it, an age limit. Judges are usually the only positions that are age limited, and if there is an age limit in any state, it's judges. Why shouldn't it be for legislators? Oh, because they're making decisions, Joe. That's that's my piece. I would say I don't want to drone on about about, <laughs> about being about term limits for too long. <laughs> Miss McConnell's net worth, I mean, according to Ballotpedia, is twenty two million dollars. You think that's why he stays a senator? Yeah. Also because Kentucky's like the most conservative state in the country. Are they really? Yeah. Like over Mississippi? Oh, yeah. At least Mississippi has like, they also have elected statewide Democrats like post like. This is true. 60s era. For, you know, I mean, not like senators, but um, for weird statewide offices. This is a weird plug, but everybody should go follow the Kentucky um, like House Dems, there's just like two of them, and they have a great, hilarious TikTok account. Um, there is literally only two elected House Democrats in the state of Kentucky yeah. for the state house. There's literally just two, two dudes. Them. It's two dudes. The TikTok, the TikTok's so funny. You should yeah. follow our TikTok since you're following people. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, actual moving on. So what's going on in Ohio, Kale? Statewide. I'm gonna read the headline. From Ohio Capital Journal. Physicians react to ruling placing abortion pill use in jeopardy. So, in Ohio, um, one, just so everyone's aware, abortion is still legal in this state. The heartbeat, abortion is still legal in it Ohio. It is still legal in Ohio. 
the heartbeat bill is not valid. It's been, I guess, suspended by a state judge. So you could still get an abortion in this state, like a medical or sorry, a surgical abortion. You can still get. It's very hard because that's the that's the game that these people play. But also, medication abortion is still legal throughout the country, which I think is something that people don't talk about enough because medication abortion accounts for the vast majority of abortions that are performed overall. Surgical abortion is like really rare, super rare, super rare. Invasive abortions are the ones that people think about when they hear abortion. That's what, and that's what like pisses off conservatives to the point of violence sometimes. Yeah, but that's that makes up a very very small portion. Yeah, what's so interesting about this ruling is the drug itself was approved by the FDA back in two thousand, so it's been on the market for the last twenty three years. Twenty three years. That's I mean I'm. 20 yeah that's longer than i've been alive and so how the drug works is you take one pill and then you wait 24 to 48 hours after and then you take the second pill and that terminates the pregnancy Mm -hmm. it can be done at home it is it is safe contrary to what uh you know these groups say that it's not safe um but it has been a drug that's been available to the public for literally almost a generation Mm -hmm. Um, but a Trump appointed judge, uh, U S district judge, Matthew can't pronounce his last name. I'm so sorry, sir. Um, (laughs) you know, issued a ruling that said it reversed the FDA's approval for it. Um, that's in Texas, right? Yeah. So a little bit of, uh, lore on the fifth circuit district. It is one of the most conservative circuit districts in this country. And what conservative groups will do is they'll go judge shopping, essentially, and they will file their case with a district where they think they'll get a favorable ruling. Mm -hmm. So that's why whenever you see crazy rulings like this against abortion, it's usually from that district. It's coming out of Texas. So if you ever see another crazy ruling on something social, um, it's probably from this district. And honestly, it might be the same judge. Because a lot of these judges are also jockeying for promotion to the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. eventually. But anyways, um, the Justice Department filed an emergency stay, uh, you know, with the Fifth Circuit, uh, with the appeals court. And the, the drug is still available. In Ohio specifically, it is still available. It's just really, it's really concerning to see this happening. I I don't want to justify anti-choice arguments because that is not what I'm trying to do, but I can see opposition against surgical abortion. You know, there like you can make an argument that those should be regulated to a certain capacity, but medication abortion is literally one of the safest ways to get abortion. It is abortion in general is is a safe procedure when it's done by professionals and doctors, like it has been for years but medication abortion is much more comfortable for the person you know getting the abortion but it's also more available and that's why anti-choice groups are trying to get it banned in this country because states aren't allowed to regulate interstate commerce and that's what medication abortion basically is because you can order the pills through the mail so and there's 
there's more uses than just abortion for these types of medications. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I think I read somewhere that they used it for diabetes treatment. Yeah. They use it for uh, people who have miscarried, which mm-hmm. make up like a huge percentage of pregnancies. Like miscarriages happen more often than people think. Yeah. Especially in the state of Ohio. Like it's the none the percentage is going up and that's unfortunate. But these medications help these people. And this at this point it's not even an abortion. Yeah. And when a when a person miscarries, it's there are health like dangers to it and these medications help these people and they're trying to take them away. Mhm. Because of one specific thing. Yeah. That's that's the other thing too. Um regulating medical procedures is a very I think dangerous thing to do. Obviously there should be medical regulations. But when you're starting to regulate like the specifics of like what you can and can't do, you start getting situations where doctors are going to be leaving states where you know you could be you could be criminally punished for doing an abortion or anything that might accidentally be legally defined by state code as an abortion. And we've said it before on this podcast, politicians do not know what the hell they were talking about when it comes to abortion. Because honestly, a lot of the time, it's done by white dudes. It's done by people that will never, ever have to experience a miscarriage, have to get an abortion, have to know what it's like to have to make, you know, a decision to seek an abortion. And they're making regulations on something that they don't know how it works. And then you get crazy things like trying to reimplant ectopic pregnancies. Yeah. Or that's nuts. miscarriages being classified as manslaughter. That's also nuts. And it's nuts. It's nuts. It is nuts. I've I know many, many, many people. Say it in the Trump voice for me, because I just thought of it. Many people, quite frankly. Exactly. I know many people who have the capability to become pregnant. Mm-hmm. They're never going to get an abortion, but they are still pro-right for a person to choose. Yeah. So if you, I mean, if you don't want one, if you think it's immoral for whatever reason, don't get one. Yeah. If you think TikTok is trying to monitor your Wi-Fi, don't download TikTok. <laughs> See, to me, there's just a problem with trying to regulate morality. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a weird, it's a really one, it's a really weird thing to do in general, but it's also a very slippery slope because the same people that want to criminalize women and anyone who can get an abortion by getting an abortion, whether it's, you know, the person actually getting one or the doctor performing it, these are usually the same people that want to do, um, you know, like genital inspections on athletes because they don't like trans people very much. And it's also people jockeying to try to overturn gay marriage or people that, you know, don't really recognize, you know, other systemic issues in this country. And that's, I would argue, that's where, like, religion comes into play. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there are a lot of people who are anti-choice who aren't religious and they're anti-choice and their arguments for it are non-religious arguments. A lot of people weaponize religion in these things like gay marriage, trans people just existing, yeah, abortions, things like that. They weaponize religion against these things. And one, that's the reason why a lot of young people like us 
steer away from abortion, not yeah. abortion, steer away from religion. Mm-hmm. They're scaring people away. They're weaponizing it to be like to hide bigotry. Yeah. It's a problem. It's a problem. And I'm glad you brought up the religion thing because, you know, I know you're Catholic. I'm Catholic and I'm, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm devout, but I go to church. I pray. I pray my rosary. You know, I don't really feel the need to use my Catholicism to try to like determine policy. My political beliefs and my religious beliefs are totally separate of each other. Yeah. They don't influence each other. I'm not using the Bible to justify my stance on like healthcare or abortion or like taxes or whatever. I don't feel that that you don't have to combine the two and the two should not be combined in any situation. The state, you know, church and state shouldn't be combined. This is a really easy thing to not do. And as a religious person, you know, I don't feel the need for, you know, my religious beliefs to impact policymaking in the government. Totally separate things that should be separate and should always be separate. In a country like ours, as diverse as ours, sure, there's more uh, like Protestant Christians in our country than there are other religions. Mm-hmm. But in a country like ours where we don't have an established religion, we don't have in most cases, we don't have laws that are influenced by religion. Yeah. Posing a question to somebody who weaponizes their religion. If a Jewish or a Muslim or a, a, a Hindu lawmaker started passing laws, ban a, a Hindu, if a Hindu lawmaker started passing laws banning the consumption of beef, would you listen? Would you be happy? Would you be, like, what would your reaction be? And you can look to a country where that's happening. You can look to India where the ruling party is a Hindu nationalist party and they are, you know, trying to tamp down on, you know, I mean, quite frankly, they're trying to subjugate and oppress Muslim Indians. And it's really, you know, India is a secular country, you know, legally. And again, you're seeing religion being used to create and enact policy from the government. And it's problematic. And I mean, honestly, it's really easy to see that it, I mean, it could happen here. I, I tell everyone it, it could happen here. If you've ever read the book, it's literally called It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis. I know what you're talking about. And, you know, it's this like mystical idea that, oh, the U.S. is a functioning democracy. We could never see a tyrant or a strong man gain power. Yeah, it could happen here. It could very easily happen here. And thinking that it couldn't happen here is what will make it happen exactly. here. Exactly. So That's what everybody said on January 6th. Yeah. And like these specters, they're still here. Like They're not going away in this election cycle. Trump's running for, to, for president again. There are election deniers running. There are people who weaponize their religion on abortion, on gay marriage, things like that. It's all still here, and it very much could happen here. It's, you know, and I know it's kind of off the topic of, you know, abortion, but it's really easy to, you know, recognize when that's happening and people have to be aware of that. And when they do see it happening, you have to push back and you have to talk about it. So what you can do as a listener in the state of Ohio is find a place where they're doing petition signings for the abortion amendment 
that's going to be on the ballot in November, so long as you sign the petition. Mm-hmm. Joe and I have already signed it. Um, I had the privilege to sign it at a event where we met the Senate Majority Leader, oh. Charles Schumer. Schumer mm. of his, New York with his red glasses and his flip phone. <laughs> um, but we've already signed it. Uh, most of the policy wonk staff have already signed it. Make sure you find a place to sign it. Make sure your handwriting is eligible as well. That's and, also very important. And make sure you sign the right petition for your county. For your county, yes. Um, you know, I live in Lake County. Well, I'm still registered to vote at my parents' house in Lake County. You have to use the address that you are registered at. Yes. So if you're from Lake County and you're registered in Lake County, but you go to CSU, don't sign the Cuyahoga County one. Ask if they have a Lake County book. Exactly. And I can guarantee you they do. Yeah, they have a they Cuyahoga, do. they have a Summit, they have a Lake County. And I can guarantee you that because, one, they know they're on a college campus where people live in those uh, like other counties. And, two, they all tend to have Franklin County books, and that's far away. It's and I would quite be up, far. I would be upset if they, they had a Franklin County book but not a Lake County book. So mm-hmm. just ask. Mm-hmm. We got a couple minutes left. Do you have anything else you want to say, Joe? I don't think so. I'm... Actually, I do want to plug something. I'm currently in the process of starting my own sideshow. Um, Probably won't see it till May after classes are wrapped up because I have to finish my seminar paper. Shout out Dr. Stack. Um, But yeah, I'm going to start my own, you know, solo side project, uh, you know, kind of like what Kale does with Shaw Talk. Um, I think what I'm going to specifically focus on electoral politics not like what we do here we just talk about the news and you know explain things to people but talking about the specifics of how the u.s electoral system works what its problems are what its weaknesses are and what we can do to make it better and more representative for everyone involved whether you're a conservative you're a liberal you're a centrist you're like a communist and you're crazy or you're even further right but how we can make our system more representative of all of us. So keep an eye out for that. I'm excited to do it. So we're going to add that to the list of things coming out in May. We're, we're planning a couple big projects coming out in May, including a blog, mm-hmm. The Wonkist. We use that. We just change like, the ending of the word wonk. Wonk, wonker, wonkist, wonkster. Wonkster. We got everything. Wonkopedia. Wonka- ooh. I like that one. T-shirt idea. Have to buy a new domain. (laughs) (laughs) So all that being said, I do want to take a minute to say that we, we didn't choose to stay silent on Nashville because of the politics. We wanted to give families a time to grieve. We wanted to give communities time to grieve and recover and... Unfortunately, that's it's something that's going to be an open wound in the area for a long time. It just we had to talk about it because gun violence is something that recently almost affected our staff. Um, so all that being said, Policy Wonk like stands with the victims of Nashville. We stand with the victims of Louisville. We stand with the victims of like Parkland from all those years ago. We stand with everybody who is a victim of gun violence or knows somebody who's a victim of gun violence. And we will be posting on our social medias ways to kind of get support 
because it's important to us. It's important to our generation and it's important to the country. Yeah. So I think with that, I think we're all done for today. We are done for today. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. We will see you next time.